Welcome to the Yes Collective podcast. If you're hearing this, then you are not on our private members-only podcast feed where we have our public episodes like this one, but tons more amazing mental wellness content, including our therapist circles, on-the-go articles, parent-focused meditations, and special episodes you won't want to miss. So head on over to yescollective.co, become a supporting member, and we'll get you your own private podcast feed today. This month's theme in the Yes Collective is work-life wellness, and we're diving even deeper with an outstanding leader in organizational psychology and leadership development, Dr. Avina Gupta. She's pioneered leadership and coaching engagements in organizations from small family-owned businesses to billion-dollar multinational corporations. She's a former consultant with Deloitte, has founded two boutique leadership development firms, and has taught courses across the globe from Vienna to New York City. Born and raised in Canada, Avina is fluent in Hindi and can ask for a beer and directions in both German and French. She met her German-born husband, Sebastian, on a mountain in South Africa and his mom to their delightful four-year-old son, Sai, and four-month-old baby girl, Lonnie Mae. Avina and company currently reside in Atlanta, Georgia, If you care about bringing your whole self to work and back home at the end of the day, then you're going to love listening to Avina's wisdom and insight. So without further ado, here's our interview with the wonderful Dr. Avina Gupta. Avina, we all have known each other for quite some time. This isn't like, you know, we're connecting with an expert who we only have a professional relationship with. Totally. We are, we are, we are longtime friends. And so I would love to just begin by you and Audra kind of telling the story, like how you met, <laughs> what, where this friendship began. I love it. Oh, I do too. That is so awesome. Vina, we met 2005? Four. Four. Was Mm -hmm. it four? Mm -hmm. Oh my God. That's earlier than I thought. I thought (laughs) for some reason, I thought we moved to to New York and to, no, we moved away in 2005. That's what it was. We moved there in 2003. Yeah, we moved out. Gosh, we're only there for a year. Well, we moved there in 2003. Yeah. Right. So we only had a year together in New York. That is crazy to me because what a fast friendship, right? And like, what a deep friendship, like in just a year, I thought you'd been there. I thought we'd been there together for years. So that is really interesting. To it me. is incredible, isn't it? Yeah. Like, it seems like so much more than that. And yeah. do you do you feel like I noticed this when I started working at, you know, at colleges and universities, as an administrator, like the fast friendships at that age, it's mm-hmm. so beautiful, the way that we're almost just like, wired to openly connect Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. we kind of, I feel like lose it as we get older and have our families and our kids. Do you experience that too? A hundred percent. And so, you know, you've got two kids, they're a little bit older than our kids. Our kids are younger, but it's this, you know, we've sort of been on a quest to make those same deep friendships. And, you know, Sebastian, my husband keeps saying like, it doesn't happen the same way anymore. Like, you know, those friendships you have when you're younger or when you're in college, to your point, you don't, you were just, you have all of that 
discretionary time that you were constantly together, right? And like in it and like you don't know your ass from your elbow and like you don't know what you're doing <laughs> and you're kind of in this like in this adventure together. There's something so powerful about it. And I think, you know, the days feel longer, the months feel longer, but in a good way. Like, mm. you know, yeah, the friendships go deep. Yeah, you were two beautiful. of my great greatest friends. Like, even if we didn't see each other for years, which we probably didn't, and talk for years, which we probably didn't when you were out in California, like, you know, you know, like you said, you just know some people are in your heart and on your heart. It's definitely how I feel about you guys. Oh, uh, yeah. I feel the same the way. And mutual. and speaking of the fast friendship, because Justin wants us to dish. We so we were at Teachers College at Columbia University together, working in res life. Yes, that's right. <laughs> and uh, shout out to Sophia Pertuz, who yes works with us on Yes Collective. Just yes. totally amazing. Like there's so many beautiful tie-ins. Like uh, it was such a formative period in my life. It was such a powerful time in my life personally, and to to connect with you and build this. It was such a deep connection and one that I think I just knew, I mean, and hoped it would be a lifelong collection, but it's connection has proved to be that. Mm -hmm. And it, I just feel so grateful for that intense time we had together, both yeah. working together yeah, and as friends. And you always endlessly fascinated me because you're, <laughs> you were in the org psych program, right? Yeah. Yeah. And I was doing philosophy and education. You were in a doctor uh, in the doctoral program and I was in a master's program. Um, hence our short time together. Yeah. Um, and I remember just being endlessly fascinated with your interest in your work and what you were learning because mm -hmm. organizations are organisms unto themselves. Like completely endlessly fascinating. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that was like, I, I just remember being super curious about what you were, um, doing and learning and what your interests are. And that has never waned. I have remained mm -hmm. endlessly curious about your work <laughs> because you're an expert in a field that I feel like is deeply tied to the future of human mm -hmm. flourishing. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's very powerful and very, um, humbling. Um, I do remember, yeah, I feel I've always felt passionate about my work, even when I didn't know that's what I wanted to do or it didn't have a name, which, you know, I guess we'll talk about in a little bit. But, you know, going back to the friendship, I do remember where I was like when I got the text, you know, and I'm going to get emotional here for a second. But like, I remember where I was when I got the text about Max. Oh, I remember, hmm. you know, like I was on the beach, you know, in Coney Island and I got this text and I remember feeling like like someone had like thrown a stone on my chest, you know, like. I remember, like, I remember these moments. I remember going to visit you in California and like, you know, just these, these moments like that stand still in time sort of, you know? Um, yeah. So our friendship and I remember on a lighter note, the long <laughs> walks with the two of you to Shake Shack in New York. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, we still talk Very, about that. We do still talk about that. And we tell the kids, you know, we're like, you know, we used to walk to the one Shake Shack. The one. And we would yeah. walk 100 blocks in the yeah. snow with bears chasing us. You know, obviously they weren't open in the snow, but still in the hot summer, you yeah. know, and we would then stand in line for two hours. Yep. And walk back. That's what you did as a New Yorker, right? That was like, and that was your whole day. That was your whole weekend. Yes. And now you can get Shake Shack in a mall or an airport. But it's not the same. Kids, kids these days. Kids these days don't, these don't days. even get it. You need to walk 100 blocks in the heat and wait in line for two hours. 
That's oh, right. So, Avina, I, 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 I will apologize to the listeners because I say this on almost every podcast, but I am the, in what they call the radio business, I'm the driver, you know, right. and Audra's <laughs> the personality. And so I try to keep the train on the track. So Perfect. we'll, yeah. So <laughs> I wanted to throw that curveball at the beginning just to have you guys talk about, um, the friendship, but, and I'm sure more is going to come up about this, but I would love to dive into the topic. So this month we're talking about all the ways that we can support emotional and mental wellness so that we can be more present, connected, Mm -hmm. and more in the flow at work and bring more of ourselves home at the end of the day. And so we'll be diving into this from all different angles with you but before we do, you touched on it briefly. We'd love to find out more. Like, how did you get into organizational psychology and leadership development? What does your professional journey look like to you now? You know, as, as you've you, you've had all this experience, you've done all this amazing work. So basically, how do you make sense of it all? Oh, that's a great question. So it's so fun to be able to talk talk about the journey. I always think about how Steve jo- Steve Jobs said, you know, one of his commencement speeches that moving forward, you never really know exactly what you're doing. And then you look back and all the dots just connect right mm-hmm. into a, yeah. this beautiful story. So it's really it's really such a privilege to be able to to think about the work and talk about it with you. So I don't, you know, I'll start here. Um, I don't know if you have many um, Indian immigrant friends, but, you know, my parents were a huge influence on me and were, um, you know, very big part of my life. And, you know, they're first generation um, immigrants. They moved from India to Canada. And um, there's one profession that is acceptable in this community, <laughs> at least when I was growing up, and that's to be a doctor, a real doctor, Justin, not like you and me, <laughs> um, like a real doctor. Okay, that can Avita, do real Audra bought me a T-shirt uh, years ago. It says, "Not a real doctor." Totally. Yeah. I need uh, you need to send one of those to me, or maybe to my parents, like I know parents of not a real doctor. Um, but you know, there's a couple problems. I uh, faint when I get my blood drawn, and I am just not built for a clinical setting. I love people, but not when they're sick. I'm not. That's not where I'm at my best. You know, talking about flourishing, right? Um, but I love love people. And in high school, I had a boyfriend, which was also very taboo in our in our culture. But I had a boyfriend. He was wonderful, and his mother was a psychologist. So that was my first foray into like, oh, there is a different way. And she was wildly successful, raised three boys, um, and had a private practice. And so, you know, when I started to think about what was really like who I am and what I wanted to do. I studied psychology and I didn't know anything like work psychology or organizational psychology existed. But my first work experience, which was, you know, right around the time of September 11th, when everything was kind of just falling apart, I found this job as a recruiter for a housewares company in New Jersey and really felt aligned with their core values. And I was like, this is the company for me. The leaders were incredible. Um, someone they had, you know, managed like endowment funds for the biggest universities. And they were just like, you work hard, you have like these really good homegrown values. I was like, I'm all about it. And then I got there and it was a disaster. It was a nightmare. Um, people were embezzling money. They had us working six days a week, like 14 hour days. And the facade just crumbled, you know, but the impression I was left with was, wow, how much time do we spend at work? More, We spend more time at work than we do anywhere else, right? Than with our families, sleeping, eating, and walking to Shake Shack. So how can we find a better way to lead? And I was just, I wanted to know, I wanted to learn for myself, but also to try and build better leaders to, to have better influence so that we could live better lives. That was my kind of naive perspective of it all. Um, and even back then feels even more naive and also more true right now. I really believe that you could 
do this through a practice of love, even in a professional mm -hmm. setting. And I keep, you know, in my old age, <laughs> my mid middle age now, I keep coming back to this concept that, you know, it was born of someone very naive. And now here we are coming back to the idea of talking about wellness, flourishing, caring for each other. Love is how I think about it. So um, that was, you know, sort of how I got there. Um, I didn't plan it, but looking back, all the dots really connect, you know, and I've loved what I've been able to do um, and been allowed to do in the last 20 years or so. It's very wise, Avina, that <laughs> like you, you know, you, you, you see those early days of being naive, but sometimes those early days are when you can see the heart of the matter, mm -hmm. right? It's the least foggy time, right? The least jaded, mm -hmm. you know? And That's also when, when you probably have more, most clarity around mm -hmm. your North star, you know, yeah, like, yeah. Like, yeah mm -hmm. like this is it. Mm -hmm. In a real raw way, right? Like before yes. it kind of gets, um, you know, like worked on and sculpted by like who you're supposed to be and how you're supposed to sound and look like. Yes. Right? It's so true. I remember um, when we lived in Tempe and Jess and I were walking to Gentle Strength, our um, like little co-op <laughs> that was there. Yeah. And I remember being like, Jess and I were so into like economic democracy and, and we're like, I want to have like found a completely like worker owned business one day and then have a pamphlet about it here at gentle strength that others can can use to like start their own you know and yeah seems super naive but i think i'm still working towards that today really it sounds like it right <laughs> yeah you've just expanded beyond gentle strength <laughs> yeah <laughs> beyond the pamphlet you know but Still, I mean, that it's just, it's so beautiful. And then, I mean, knowing you too, I mean, you've always been really passionate about health and wellness. And so you've always had like, I mean, you were a physical trainer at one point. Um, and it's always been something, I mean, I've learned about with you along the way. And that's powerful to me to think of like how you've brought these interests together, like mm -hmm. so beautifully. And it is all unified by love. Mm -hmm. I couldn't agree more. Yep. That is sort of like the bottom line, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. So let's move into this idea of work-life wellness or mental and emotional wellness at work. And so I'll just start by asking you, Avina, what, what does work-life wellness mean to you? Maybe what does it look like? Why is it important? You can take it from any angle that, that feels alive for you. Yeah, no, it's such a, it's such a good question. And I've been thinking about this a lot as, you know, just COVID, the pandemic, being shut in, being released back out into the world, navigating kind of work life with small children. Um, I've been thinking a lot about this question, and I think it kind of boils down to three things for me. Um, and the first, when I think about work and organizations, you know, I think about fit. And are you a fit for the organization? You know, I talked a little bit about company values. And not just what it looks like from the outside, but when you get in there, like, do you really feel like you fit and you belong and you can be who you are um, honestly, right? And that you can strive for something that the organization is striving for. And then, you know, so fit is the first one. I think about function. Does your role and does your organization allow you to function, like really function in a healthy way, like at home, at work, with friends? Are you able to take time off to have your kids? Are you supported in that? Are you able to go see family, be there when someone gets sick? You know, like, does can you can your life function well in terms of the role that you're in? And then I think about future. And, you know, Audrey, you gave me such a nice compliment at the beginning of this, the podcast of 
thinking about the future flourishing. But, you know, the third thing for me is, is future. Are you building the future that you want to build, that you will be proud of, that will be your legacy, that will um, help you, you know, raise your children well, right? Like they're, if you have children, like those are, you know, the things I think about. So when I think about mental and emotional health, it's such a wide, broad um, topic. And there's so many different, there's mental, you know, wellness and um, breaking down the barriers of, I think we have moved into um, kind of a time of where we can talk much more openly about, you know, mental illness, about mental wellness. All of that was shuttered, right? Under kind of this like, tough suit of professionalism. Um, and I think, you know, breaking down some of those barriers and being able to talk about it honestly in a safe place doesn't mean, you know, the workplace is not your therapist's office, right? I think we're very clear about that. But also being able to say like, hey, I'm struggling right now and I need some support. I need some resources. I think that honesty is part of that functioning. Does your organization allow you to do that? And do you t have the courage to be able to step up and say, hey, I, I have a need and can we address the need? And then I'm imagining that as companies build these resources um, and these uh, mental and emotional health resources become more available, that who who fits and how they mm -hmm. fit broadens. It's like, oh, mm -hmm. right. So we can now create a different sort of. Uh, Beautifully said. A different sort of environment. Yep. Absolutely right. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like, I mean, I want to throw this out there. You and you and I have walked down our professional paths together for a long time. Um, and I think at the various times we've been able, we've, we've connected around things. I think I've shared with you a lot of my um, difficulties often over the years working in an institutional, you know, work environment. And I think I'm understanding it better now. I think mm -hmm. I'm understanding. I feel like we are in the midst of a paradigm shift and you mm -hmm. are one of the leaders in, in the paradigm shifting. Mm. And it's one thing that I love about you. And we taught you our, our friend and yes, collective collaborator, Jen Cornelius about this. I cannot wait for you to meet Jen. I just want to be a fly on the wall when that happens. <laughs> That's going to be amazing. And we're, we're talking about this shift, you know, into a really people focused work environment. Mm -hmm. And, and when I take a broader lens and I think about the dysfunctional places that I've been in, the mm -hmm. embattled places I've been in, mm -hmm. where we're really kind of performing these roles, right? Where, where we are like the show severance, like we're, you know, Completely. severed humans coming in to perform, you know, the write the algorithm or make the widget or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it, I can understand so much of what was happening in these places. It's just, a boiling underneath the surface, right? And it's like everyone's coming in hot, triggered, unaware, yep. everything going on, right? Yep. All of our backgrounds, everything, no matter what the workplace tried to do to sever us, you can't. We're coming in with it all and we don't realize it half the time because, I, because in these days, for me, this is pre Brene Brown, right? This mm -hmm. is like when we didn't realize that our, you know, emotional worlds are so, I, we, we, we haven't, I mean, first of all, mental health and mental wellness have been so stigmaed mm -hmm. throughout all this time. And I know for me, I didn't realize what was happening. I'm in mm -hmm. this arranged marriage with people, mm -hmm. right? Embattled, triggered. It's everything but the actual issue at hand, usually. Mm -hmm. um, and now I feel like far enough back 
from this to see what's happening in a good amount of these control-centered environments. It's like a, a, a you know, boiling pot of dysfunction. Um, and I can understand why. I say that with complete compassion. Like we mm-hmm. haven't had the tools to, right? We haven't, uh, we yeah. haven't, like we stopped learning these tools in pre-K, I feel like. We never, you know, student life maybe gave us some of them later on a little bit, you know, barely, but we haven't. Yeah, hundred st- <laughs> percent. So help me with no, this. Am I I'm, on the right track? <laughs> yes, um, I, I share. I share a lot of uh, a, lo- a lot of what you just you know reference, and I think that you talk to most people out there. Um, and I do just want to add like a caveat, like you know, folks who have are in a position of privilege, right? Because we mm-hmm. have the privilege yep. to be able to sculpt our lives, talk about do we want this role, that role. We're not, you know, most of us are not struggling for food and money and that right. sort of thing. So I just, yes. you know, want to yep. put that caveat out there. But I do think that that's the majority of experiences out there. That the majority of people are having this experience of feeling less than, not seen, not heard, not supported, belittled, humiliated, and yet their livelihood depends on their performance, right? And their ability to put food on the table for their kids and you know pay their mortgages and that sort of thing. And I don't. I think that that dysfunction that sits in organizations is is just an absolute parallel to the dysfunction that sits in families. Mm, and right. Yeah. And so, and yep. I think that's a lot of the work that you're doing. And so I think what we're starting to see, and I completely agree. I, I feel it in my bones that we are in a paradigm shift. And of course, there's just a few people kind of out there talking about this, the majority, right? Like on that standard deviation curve, <laughs> like they're, they're right there kind of churning and burning. And they're like, but I, I did everything I was told to do. And I put my head down and I was a good soldier and I checked my emotions at the door. Like, why do I still feel so yuck? And well, it's because we're not, yeah, we're not. I mean, I love that. Like, yeah, so I'm feeling it. And it like, I was a good soldier. I checked my emotions at the door. And so why am I feeling so yuck? And, you know, doing this work now for as long as I I have with so many amazing therapists and psychologists and um, the answer just immediately comes up is like, oh, it's because you checked it. It, it, Like it's because you had to check all that at the door. It's Mm -hmm. because you've had to repress this. And I mean, in psychotherapy, well, this, you know, for a hundred years, this is a quote from Carl Jung essentially, but uh, what we repress uh, or what, what we resist persists. Yeah. Sorry. And, 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 and so how do we, as companies, as organizations provide a safe and supportive uh, or safe and supportive spaces and resources so that we don't have to cut ourselves off like this? Such a good question. I think we're trying to get there. I think what I've experienced um, in most of the places I've been in so far is that there's still so much fear. There's still so much fear driving um, decision making and, you know, leadership behavior. Um, that we're not able to truly do some of that. I think people are afraid that it's just going to be a free for all. There's going to be pandemonium. It's going to be chaos. It's going to be mental yeah. illness spilling out all over the place, you know? Yeah. Oh my gosh, <laughs> Avina. So this is what I love. So, so in my work as an emotional health coach, this is one, this is like the most common fear inside. We have, we have parts that are like, oh, if I really open up, 
I'm going to be overwhelmed. It's going to be chaos. You know what's going to hit the fan. Everything's going to fall apart. And it's like, oh, I mean, seeing how universal this fear is and then what mm -hmm. you just said, it's like, oh, and it's showing up in our in our families and our everywhere. organizations and like really everywhere. <laughs> yeah. And so you, you're talking about it from an individual standpoint, right? That individuals have this fear. And so they've checked their emotions, right? But organizations, like Audra said, organizations truly are living organisms. I mean, they have their own kind of culture. They create like a feeling. They, you know, when one part moves, the other part is affected. They're kind of living, breathing beings in their in their own way, and you know, kind of as a metaphor, but still. And so organizations also have this fear. And leaders have this fear if they lead these organizations that are the, just these like, you know, kumbaya, like, you know, <laughs> come to work and bring your whole self to work, whether it's in a thong or whether it's in a suit or whether it's in a like, but that's not, that's not what we're talking about. Most people are highly intelligent and yes. highly able to manage themselves. You know, it's right. if you give them a little bit of room to breathe and you do set parameters, you do set professional parameters, containers, which are necessary yeah. containers. Exactly. Then most you might have the, you know, a couple of odd occasions where there's someone who needs more help than, you know, the workplace can offer. That's okay. There are ways to get help to, to people who need that kind of help. And so I think there's this, the fear that drives individuals that drives organizations is what we'll have to overcome to be able to actually practice. And a lot of this is going to take practice. We're not going to be perfect at it. We're going to have to practice what it means to be in relationship with each other professionally, you oh, know? And yeah. so it's going to be a big experiment, but you know, like you got to, you know, strap in, right. Put your seatbelt on your hat, your hard hat, whatever it is, because it's not going to be easy. Um, it's going to be messy. And I think a lot of, leaders and organizations and people, they don't want the messy. They want yeah. the promote, you know, work two years, go to a good school, graduate <laughs> from a good college, get a good degree, right. get a good job, you know, work right. the job, get the car, the white picket fence, the two kids, the one and a half dog and get promoted every couple of years. And, you know, it just, just doesn't work that way. One of the th ways that I started to see how this could work in organizations, and it's so small, but just hearing this now and hearing from you, Avina, is like, oh, wow, this, this actually was kind of a shift for me. Several years ago, I was listening to um, a podcast by a well-known business coach, Jerry Colonna. Uh, and, and, he, and so what he does in all of his meetings, whether it's executive teams, whatever it is, he starts with a green, yellow, red check-in. And so it's, you know, everybody checks in. Are you coming in green? That is resourced and feeling here, you know, present mm -hmm. or yellow. Are you, you know, like kind of distracted? What your day is not going so hot, whatever it is. Or are you red? Like, are you triggered? Are you just not here? And then the thing that got me is then he said, and you can show up however it, it like where this is not a judgment part. This mm -hmm. is just green, yellow, red. You can say a little bit about it, whatever, you know, you want, but mm. it's just coming into connection and just, and just letting everybody know where you're at. Mm -hmm. And I thought, wow, like that feels really vulnerable and mm. dangerous. Like I can imagine people not wanting to come in and check in red or even check it. Like everybody wants to check in green. Mm -hmm. Um, but we've been <laughs> yeah. using this in a bunch of different contexts with a bunch of different groups and a bunch of different organizations, and it works. It's like, mm -hmm. oh, my gosh. And 
And so this idea that like you've just set this little container for people mm -hmm. to show up exactly as they are. Mm -hmm. It's not like people are going crazy. I'm red and I'm going to just start smashing things, you know? No. They, <laughs> and just the feeling that I can show up here exactly yep. as I am. Yep. And also without disclosing too many details, right? Like what a right. beautiful way, what an, a beautiful invitation yeah. in to say, um, we invite you and whatever it is that's going on for you. And you don't have to share the the kind of the messy details behind the curtain unless you want to. And I think that's that's really powerful. But there is there's fear. And so who's going to go first to say I'm red, you know, when everyone's like, oh, green, green, great, doing great. <laughs> you know, it rem reminds me of um, yeah. Alan Mulally, right? When he took over at Ford and he was saying, hey, like so something is not going right. And you all keep coming to my meetings saying green, green, green. He uses also a similar system, mostly for accountability. And it was, you know, the first time someone was like, red, this is bad. We're not meeting our targets. The deadline is it's come and gone. Like we are failing. And instead of, you know, um, like Austin Powers, you know, like Dr. Evil, <laughs> he didn't get like, you know, dropped through a trap door <laughs> and disappear. Yeah. 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 He, you know, he was like, thank you. Thank you for your honesty. And that's when things started to, to turn around because there's got to be there's got to be a sincere offer or invitation. It can't just be, uh, you know, we're inviting you to be vulnerable and then we're going to come down hard on whoever is honest. So the invitation has to be authentic. And then we have to be courageous to take the step and say, you know, this is what's going on for us. Mm. Um, Avina, what, what's coming up for me um, in this conversation really strong that I, that I just want to share is that I've had um, a broad amount of work experience from the service industry, you know, as a prep cook, a line mm -hmm. cook, server and a bartender, and then mm -hmm. moving into a like a quote unquote professional, you know, mm -hmm. work environment. Um, and in the last conversation we had this podcast um, that we will be um, sharing very soon with our friend Jen, we were very much talking about the startup work environment, these work environments that um, are much more interested in, be in mm -hmm. growing into a fully um, people-focused you know, environment. My experience in the service industry was not that. It was not, in, you know, I experienced, you know, sexual harassment. Mm -hmm verbal assaults, like, you know, all of the, all of the extreme things that, that you can imagine were, yeah. you know, normalized in the nineties and so on. And so when I think about this conversation, it always comes up for me of like, I love, love, love talking about our paradigm shift. I love talking about this hope on the horizon. I love talking about this change. You have a lot of experience in the space. Do you, is this just a change in the most privileged spaces or is this a change that we can hope to see that's a fundamental shift in how we um, structure our work environments? Is there hope for us all? I think there has to be hope. Without hope, there's just despair. So mm -hmm. I think, you know, overall, I'll say that. But I do think you touch on something really um, pivotal. I think in those dark spaces, you know, mm -hmm. kitchens, the back of kitchens, the back of restaurants, like the back of hotels, yeah. Um, yep. behind the shining, glimmering cities like Dubai and other places yeah. where mm -hmm. there's, you know, everyone working and working and hustling and not being able to make ends meet. Like, I don't know. I don't think this paradigm shift has reached those places. Um, when we have enlightened leaders, not just in businesses, but in politics, you know, that's when maybe some of that will start to change. But the suffering, you know, that untold billions of people are encountering, you know, work and otherwise, um, I think we have to have hope, but I, I think we also have to be realistic. I don't, I don't think it's reached some of those places quite yet. 
do you think it will? I, I guess what I'm saying is, do you think that we have the capacity to do this type of work, knowing what you know of organizational structures, let's say even just in the U.S., mm-hmm. um, set aside, I mean, the worldwide challenges, yeah. this, but just in the U.S., um, looking at the structures of, of workplaces, whether it's, you know, an Amazon warehouse or, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. a, a hotel a mm-hmm. commissary, like, do you see any glimmer of potential for us to become more people centered in all of the work that we do? I do. And I think some of what I see giving me hope is that it doesn't have to just come from the top down, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't just have mm-hmm. to come from executive committees and CEOs and, you know, people who are quote unquote in charge, but it can come from the masses. And so you see Starbucks, you see um, Amazon, you see um, people coming together and standing up for their rights and for each other's rights. And, you know, I'm not going to say I'm pro union or pro business. I, I, I personally, I think that that is a losing, you know, kind of a frame, right? I think that we have to be for each other and how can we really enter into relationship and enter into partnerships that honor, like honor each person and honor the roles that they're in and allow them to, to live a healthy, flourishing life. So yeah, I do. I do see hope on the horizon. I'm so grateful for that, Avina. You know, this is something that um, being a part of that paradigm shifting, like you really want to, like one organization in and of itself can't probably solve all the problems, right? Mm -mm. But we need to network and link arms and ensure Mm -hmm. that what we're doing um, has lasting, like rippling effects and partnerships Mm -hmm. and things like that so that we can get there together. Because I believe too that everybody should, I believe in, in that dignity Mm -hmm. of being seen and heard and valued Mm -hmm. as a person that is in partnership, really it's business partnership. When you're an employee, you're in partnership to, you you know, right. Yes. Um, and I, we should be dignified by like really being valued for that. A hundred percent. It also makes me think of what you all did with, you know, Max Love from, you know, my outside perspective of what I understand, you know, you all did is I think you also looked above and beyond where the um, typical boundaries lie, right? Like we are patients, we're a cancer family. We interface with the doctor occasionally with insurance, but you took it to a completely different level. And you said, this is about health, overall health. This is about mental well-being. This is about food. This is about, you know, being with animals and horses. And like, I think that is the kind of mentality we need when we think about relationship and we think about flourishing, you know, there's, we sort of put in a lot of very false um, boundaries, you know, where things Mm -hmm. start and end. And I think that we need to, to rethink that a little, I'm not saying that we invite, you know, um, organizations into our homes and things like that, but they are in our homes, right? Like we all bring work back with us. So I think just thinking about things a little bit differently, does it, it doesn't have to be either or yeah. it's not, you know, us versus them, but it's like us in it together. And like, I know those are nice words, but we have to figure out together what that looks like and what that means. We have to test it and kick the tires and experiment. I love that. I love that. Are there any organizations out there that you think are kicking those tires and that are really challenging these boundaries? Like, or this concept of, of these boundaries? I think they're trying. Yeah. I do think that there's some out there who are really trying and maybe it's the smaller ones that are having more success. I do think there's something that happens when you grow and become so large. Um, it's hard to keep that humanness. Mm. 
that human centric, yeah. you know, focus. Yeah. And so there is something about size, there's scale, which is important, you know, for business success. But um, how do you keep the humanity as you scale? I think that's, that's a huge question. Yeah, okay. So we, yeah, that's a, that's a great mm-hmm. way to, I think, transition into the next topic. So, you know, we, you both were talking about some really large scale stuff, like some big, mm-hmm. big. And so I want to kind of drill down into some root causes here. And so Avina, when we talked last week, something you said, like really stuck with me because, <laughs> um, we were we were we were going deep and you said something to the effect that attachment wounds are at the heart of many challenges that you see in leadership and the workplace in general and i just, i just love that and i would love for you to talk a little bit more uh, about that oh i could talk at length about this subject <laughs> it's it is it's for where i am in my life right now it is the it is the kind of like flashing light that just like the sign, the neon sign that's like, duh, like, how could we have missed this for so long, you know, but I think that's the process of, um, you know, just getting better and making those connections. And so, yeah, I, it's my personal perspective. And I think it's shared by many researchers out there. But I do really feel, you know, that attachment theory as a framework is is very powerful. It essentially just gives us a roadmap for looking at, you know, our childhood, our family dynamics, the roles that we played in those families, and, you know, kind of the unresolved wounds that were left, you know, remaining because of those interactions with no blame placed, at least without knowing the details. I don't hold parents as responsible. I don't hold, you know, grandparents responsible. In certain cases, they are. But in general, it's not about blame. It's more about awareness and understanding. And for each, it's about empowerment to say, hey, like this is this is what really hurt growing up and it still hurts. And so when I am dismissed or not seen at work or passed up for this project or, you know, someone talks over me, that comes up for me again. And that's just a trigger. And the more we can understand that, the more we can befriend that. No one is saying that you have to go and have a two hour long meeting with your boss to share your deepest, darkest secrets. But if you can feel that trigger, you can recognize that heat, you know, you then have choice in how you behave and what decisions you make. That is so dang powerful. It's like awareness. Uh, This is something that we've been working on a lot in Yes Collective with all our experts. And just this idea that awareness in itself is really transformative. And so I'm imagining as you're talking, just even bringing this awareness into the workplace that like, hey, your triggers around feedback or your triggers around, you know, whatever's like that, that there are parts of you that are triggered because of what happened when you were five years old and when you Mm -hmm. were 10. And, and so, um, I, so I think just this awareness and exact, you're exactly right. Like we don't need to then go talk to the boss and be like, okay, well, actually I was transferring my mm-hmm. relationship <laughs> with my mom onto you. Da, da, da. Right. No, it's, it's, I mean, there is just a little bit of spaciousness and a little bit of freedom mm-hmm. inside that opens mm-hmm. up with this awareness. Yes. I just, love that. Justin, you know what that, I, that brings up for me is, is talking with Jenny Walters, um, Jenny Avina is one of our dear friends of Yes Collective. You know her, right? You mm-hmm. through yeah. Um, and 
Jenny will talk about a good amount of what she does in depth psychology and in her work as a therapist is psychoeducation, mm-hmm. right? So if you are someone in this country, usually facing a mental health crisis, you will hopefully be able to find your way to therapy, but very often not. We know mm-hmm. the issues mm-hmm. with that in this country. Um, for someone who is, you know, kind of like uh, coping, operating fairly typically, mm-hmm. um, you may never find your way to therapy. Mm-hmm. And you therefore may never find your way to psychoeducation. And you therefore may never find your way to even knowing what a trigger is or what it feels like. Yep. And I know for me, I mean, it wasn't really until recently, more recently that we got into this work. I'm like, that's what is happening. Mm-hmm. And all of this time in the workplace, had I just known like mm-hmm. what is going on inside, this is confusing. Why am mm-hmm. I feeling this way? Right. Yep. And it seems to be to me just essential. How yes. are we doing this? If we don't have this background and support, like, I don't even know how we are showing up. We're hanging on by, by like <laughs> our fingernails, literally. Fingernails, yeah. 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 Or we just oh. shut down. Yeah. Right. So I've also been reflecting on, you know, um, the people I see ascending in organizations being promoted, um, you know, leading other people mm-hmm. generally, and this is not, um, this is not an in-depth research study, right? This has no data behind it. It's just observational. Um, I see them being more reserved. Um, I see them kind of holding back and just sort of being that good soldier. Right. And so, and some of them are brilliant and, and very effective and they do care, but they, they know the game and they know how to fit and they know how to function. But you have to wonder what part of them is impacted by that. You know, what part of them, that severed piece Where's the severed head? It's somewhere. It's running around somewhere, you know? Davina, that's beautiful and generous. And and coming from higher education, my experience was that the folks who ascended were more of the narcissist tendency. Mm -hmm. And the ones who had true potential in really transformative leadership Mm -hmm. dropped out. 100%. Just like politics. Mm -hmm. Yep. 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 Yeah. Well, but in, yeah, so in my experience, Avina, as like that description, immediately was like, oh, I, there are so many in my career in academia. It's like, oh, there are so many really high, like whether they're uh, high achieving professors or or um, administra- administrators who I think fit that to a T. Mm-hmm. And now that I'm doing this work, I it, or this emotional health coaching work, I do have several um, executives that I've had the fortune of working with. And mm-hmm. as we start to, to d- dig deeper into this, like, oh, wow, so much, so much protection, so mm-hmm. much, uh, you know, armor, the, the, just armor mm-hmm. it had to be taken on for you to get to where you were or mm-hmm. are. And, mm-hmm. and, and then they look around and like, oh, I don't have any relationships in my life that I really value. I don't know how to connect. I, I'm, you know, and, and so. And this armor is heavy and it, it hurts yes. and it's exhausting. Yes. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And so, oh my gosh, I, so I'm wondering, Avina, do you have in your mind and, you know, you don't need to call anybody out, but like, have you come across leaders who you feel have done this work? who've gone through and who've done this work and are showing up in with more authenticity, more connection, more presence. Yes, definitely. Um, you know, and I, I see individual leaders in big organizations. Um, 
I haven't met a lot of them. I'll be completely honest, but I have definitely met my fair share. Um, and then I do think in smaller businesses, when you have younger, my in my experience, younger executive teams, whether they're successors, you know, generational successors to family businesses, that's where for me a lot of hope comes because I see these, um, you know, kind of younger generation um, leaders being really open to looking in the mirror and saying, it starts with me and I want to have a different organization. I want to create and grow a different organization and I need help. And it's, that's not, you know, it's not stigmatized to the degree it was probably before. I think with those individual leaders and these larger multinational organizations that I've seen, you know, that are big and, and doing very well and very successful, you know, financially, they are not the ones who ascend necessarily. Um, so they may be high up in the organization, but they're, they're generally not the people I see being elevated to executive committees and boards. Um, so I think we're still in that paradigm shift. Mm. Is it, is it uh, what's holding them back? Is it that they aren't playing the game in the right way or what? what yes. Is I think we're not ready for them. You know, like mm. I can't remember what that, you know, first they will, you know, um, ridicule you. Then they will beat you. Then they will join you. Like I'm, I've totally yeah. butchered that quote, but <laughs> yes. like, right. right. But there's, but, but like <laughs> yeah. there is this, this arc to, yes. uh, yep. yeah, this, uh, paradigm shift. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yep. All right. So with our time left, I'm wondering if we can dig into some practices. So yeah. like, what are some of the things that individuals can, can do at work to support their own mental and emotional? Well, so I guess we can start with just individually. And then I would love to hear like, what can organizations do? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's such a good question. I think individually, um, I think the first thing is just really knowing what you want. What is it that you want in your in your phase of life with whatever your family looks like, wherever you live, like what's going to fulfill you? I think sometimes we jump so quickly into solutions, you know, like I'm going to buy a Peloton or I'm going to go get a, you know, a membership at Gentle Strength or whatever it is, you know, like, like <laughs> yeah, before yes. we do that, like, well, that, is that <laughs> that actually will solve a lot of problems, the Gentle Strength part. But yeah, go on. <laughs> so what is it that you want? And then. I think being honest about where you work and like how that fits you and suits you and where that's lacking. And then can you shore up some resources for yourself? Whether can, can you actually afford to go see a therapist? Um, there's more affordable options or even a coach, right? Um, can you do something online that's a little bit more affordable? Um, you know, and how can you really start to address some of those things that maybe you've pushed away for many, many, many decades? I would say that's probably one of the first things and, you know, the other piece I think that I'm coming to accept more is um, work really shouldn't define your worth. And I think that for the longest time, and I will speak from personal experience, my work, I have allowed it, I have nurtured it to actually um, tell me how about my worth. You know, it has defined me, defined my value, defined my worth. And almost like a cadre of people is behind me going, look at her. She didn't do this and she didn't get that. Or, you know, or look, she's on a video now or she's, you know, on a podcast. So, you know, how can we stop letting external things define ourselves? And how can we really come back to the center of who we are? And that's really hard. That's ego work, right? That's that's getting rid of some of that you know, that fills the ego and feeds the ego. So I think there's two things there. Looking for what you want seeing where you are falling short and some of what you need. And then can you get some of those needs met? And then also really thinking about who you are, what you value and, you know, kind of almost stepping back a little from, 
being so embroiled and so engrossed in work. There are other parts of life um, that we sometimes forget to pay attention to. I have two things with that that um, come up for me listening to you, Avina, and I couldn't agree more. The first would like like the the first part of caring for oneself, right? Seeing what you need, mm-hmm. doing that mm-hmm. assessment. Um, when I felt most stuck at the various points in my um, work life along the way, I fixated so much on what the organization wasn't doing, right? Or was mm-hmm. doing whatever. It was so much on the organization. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until I realized like, hey, I can't change this. Mm-mm. But I have capacity for change, expansion, whatever. And it was in that space that I realized like, wait a minute, my ba- I don't have good boundaries. What mm-hmm. if I try this? What if I try not being angry? What if I try not answering those emails? You know, mm-hmm. what if I, you know, and, and today, me today would get help with it. Me today yes. would be able to look at that and say, hey, I need more resources and, and support for that. Yeah. But that's something that didn't occur to me in my most stuck places. And so yeah. we could like put a pin in that for, for folks who are feeling super, super stuck. They yeah. don't know how to get out of a very, very unhappy um, or difficult work situation. You know, obviously there's a process there mm-hmm. um, and that's layered with one's privilege and access mm-hmm. and things like that. But where possible to be able to to find the support to oneself. I hear you talking about mindset, right? And no matter where you are, right? Like when you think about the most inspiring leaders, Victor right? Frankl, history, and you think yeah. about Mandela stuck <laughs> yes. in that prison yes. for like what yes. 32 yeah. years, and you think about Victor Frankel, yeah. right? It comes to mind and you right. think if right. they could shift right. their mindset, that's not that's right. not to condone an abusive environment or abusive boss or anything like that. That sucks if that is what you're going through. But what can you do to bring peace to yourself? How can you maybe take the personal out of some of it? Even if that person right. wants to make it personal, they want to make it about you and your failings or you right. didn't do this. Where can you step back and say like, this actually isn't about me. Yeah. And I'm going to do the yeah, best that I can. Is, and that, that's really it, powerful you know? to me. Thank you that for that. Because I, I envision, yeah. you know, as we're having this conversation on this podcast about this type of growth and inner work and the sorts of organizations that are people focused and really care and are trying what, what it's like to be at an organization that isn't. And you really are stuck. You know, you really aren't in the position to just get another job right now. You know? Nope. Yeah. And yep. 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 Nope. And there are plenty of those organizations out there. Right. We'll give them the right. benefit of the doubt yep. that they don't know any better, but that doesn't mean that makes the experience any better. So we have a, one, one last kind of big question, and then we'll go into our, our three rapid fire questions. But Avina, is there anything right now that is new and challenging in your own personal growth journey? Like just, just stuff that you're working on right now that's new, challenging, exciting, and kind of moving you into growth. <laughs> So it's really exciting for me, but it's not an exciting answer. And so I'll tell you, you know, how, you know, having entered officially entered middle age, even though hopefully that number keeps shifting. So soon, like a hundred will be like middle age. Um, <laughs> you know what I'm doing in my life right now? I'm chasing consistency. I'm chasing consistency in that, like, it's not new, right? I'm not, I'm not trying to do something crazy. I'm not, you know, taking up hoverboarding or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. Like (laughs) I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to do what I know fills me and fulfills me 
most days. I'm not going to say every day because it's not, it doesn't happen every day, but, and I'm nowhere near doing it consistently, but meditating, you know, taking 10 minutes on calm or headspace or simply being, or whatever the app you want to use or no app. Um, can I do that most days? 10 minutes. I can't, I haven't been able to manage it so far. Um, can, whatever your form of exercise is, walking, um, Tai Chi, Peloton, running, canoeing, whatever it is, can you do that most days? Um, you know, so I'm chasing consistency and being present with my kids. I would like to say every day for, on that one, but in every, you know, at least in some moments every day, um, I'm chasing consistency because I have started so many things and the only way I've ever seen results is if you keep at it and you keep at it and you keep at it. So that's, that's what I'm doing. I'm trying. Thank you for that, Avina. I resonate with that in my middle age as well. Um, <laughs> very, very much. And as a parent, I think that's a yes. whole nother like layer to it, right? Yeah. Um, I want to jump back because I had forgotten there were two things in in the last conversation we had. And the one thing that you mentioned is 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 in um investing too much of of one's self-worth and work. Mm-hmm. And it just reminded me, Adam Grant posted the other day. Um, I thought it was so great. He said employers shouldn't discourage side hustles or hesitate to hire people who have them. Mm-hmm. Data after engaging. Even after engaging evenings on their side gigs, people perform better the next day in their full-time jobs. Side hustles aren't a distraction. They're a source of energy and empowerment. And I could not agree more. Mm-hmm. When I started Maxwell Project and I was working full-time, Maxwell Project enlivened my work life yep. and brought so many... I felt more resourced day yep. in and day out and better yep. at what I did. I was learning a whole nother avenue. And and to my colleagues who were so overly invested in the institution and embattled and like these small battles meant everything to them. I remember yep. thinking at the time, man, these people need a side hustle, right? It should be like a thing. It should be something that we ask, you know, I or, could not or agree more. offer, yeah. right? hundred percent. Do you think something like that, like having this, this interest outside of that one central thing that you, that you do, if you're lucky to have that is a part of not investing in this one side of yourself. Oh, everything. And yeah. Yes. So in one resounding answer, yes. So first Adam Grant, brilliant. Um, right up there with Brene Brown, I think for both of us, right. (laughs) In terms of inspiration and just speaking truth to power, like truly, like I know that's Mm -hmm. such an overused Mm -hmm. phrase, but I really feel like, you know, they're, they're pinnacle leaders and people, they have followers and they have people that look up to them and people listen to them. And I love that they are sharing, you know, sharing honestly, like a database, like research-based, they're both researchers and professionals. I could not agree with you more. I absolutely think that when you have a side hustle, it gives, it enlivens you, like you said, you remember that you are capable and that you are creative and that you have so much left to do, right? And that mm. you are not just your job. You are not just your title. You are not just your salary. When you don't have that other outlet, you just, it becomes everything to you. You lose perspective. You you get tunnel vision, yeah, right? All right, of those right. small battles yep. become enormous. They become a battlefield, right? And that's yes. all you're fighting for. Yes. And that is hugely stressful. And we've all been there. I've been there. You've been there. Justin's been there. Everyone listening has probably been there. It doesn't feel good. When you have that side hustle, it's like a door opens and some Mm -hmm. fresh air comes in and you get to be capable, competent. You get to be creative. I think, I think it's a brilliant idea. And I think organizations probably aren't, um, they're probably turning a blind eye, but everyone I talk to these days has a side hustle. 
Love that. Pro side hustle. Pro side Pro hustle. Side hustle. All right. So our last three questions we ask everyone. First, Avina, if you could put a big post-it note on everyone's fridge tomorrow morning, what would it say? A post-it note. So post-it notes are small, so it won't be my dissertation. Um, I think, <laughs> which wasn't Fill that good Fill up their anyway. entire fridge with post-it right. notes. Yeah. <laughs> I would say um, just breathe and notice. That's what I would say. Mm. Just breathe and notice. Breathe and notice. Yeah. And Avina, what's the last quote that you read or heard that changed the way you think or feel? This past spring, um, I lost one of my, um, she was really an acquaintance, someone uh, who was in the doctoral program with with me probably a couple years after I started. I honestly can't even say whether or not I um, physically met this woman in person. But I know that when I had my son, who was my first child, we texted and she was a huge source of support and inspiration, even though she was younger than me. Um, she was just one of these women who were larger than life. And she was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer in January and June 15th, she passed away. Um, and her name was Naomi. And I remember just that really hit me in a different way, whether it's age, whether it's she, she has a six-year-old son. I was just devastated by her death. And um I kept searching, you know, for something to give, give comfort to her family members that remain to give comfort to me. Like, I don't know. I couldn't understand why I was so just seismically shifted by, by her death. And I started reading um, some of Mary Oliver's poetry and um, her last line in one of her most famous poems is just, you know, resonated with me and stayed with me. And it, it simply says, so tell me. What is it that you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? Mm. And yeah, so that it, that gets me every time because mm -hmm. I think it's a reminder of this is not permanent. This is not constant. And we have some really big choices to make if we want to live the way, if we want to create the lives that we, you know, envision and you got to work at it every day. And we are so much more powerful than we give ourselves credit for. That's beautiful. Beautiful. So yeah. beautiful, Avina. Do you even want to ask the other question, Justin? Yes. <laughs> so the, the, the right third there. one, yeah, because it's, I mean, it's beautifully connected. So Avina, what is one thing giving you hope right now? Well, it's such a cliched answer, but, you know, for me, my hope is in the future and in the faces of my kids and they're little right now. And so they are just so precious to me. Um, so it's my kids that are giving me hope and this work right here, this work that they have been my greatest teachers, like bar none, so humbling and so fun. And so this work with you all learning from them, watching them grow and, and hoping against all hope that like the world we're creating will be better for them. You know, beautiful. Oh, Vina, Vina thank, thank you, you so, so much. much. For this. this has been yeah. such an honor for us. And we hope this is just the first of many conversations with you. I'm filled oh, up. Yeah, yeah I mean, I'm filled up oh. from the two of you. So thank you for the work that you're doing. We got we got a long road ahead of us. Yes, we do. <laughs> That's yeah. right. Hey, if you like what we're doing here at Yes Collective Podcast, please subscribe on your favorite podcast player. Share it with other parents in your life and give us a review on Apple Podcasts. Yes Collective is a mental health movement for all parents. So let's spread the love.